Hello everyone, this is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today our discussion centers on local businesses and the impact COVID-19 has had on their ability to survive. My guest today is Ann Silver, CEO of the Reno Sparks Chamber of Commerce. Welcome, Ann. Thank you, Sherry. Pleased to be with you today. Yes, uh, this is certainly an important part of the COVID conversation. I know a lot of people have focused on health and wellness, which is uh, quite appropriate, but also focusing on what's happening with small businesses. And I know that the Reno Sparks Chamber of Commerce is probably one of the biggest supporters of small business that we have in our community. Before we get into the COVID-19 issues in the Reno Sparks Chamber, can we talk a little bit about the role that the Chamber has played with small businesses pre-COVID, and Sure. Well, we reached our 100th anniversary last year, and we're the largest business organization in northern Nevada with 2,000-plus businesses, and they range from small, medium, to large businesses. We don't discriminate based on size, and we're happy to have the, the big guys and the little ones and do our best to advocate, inform, and connect them all. And that's really our mission every day, and that's what we've been doing for 100 years. And certainly we respect our members and we respect their willingness to engage with the chamber, to lean on us in in good times and bad, to advocate on their behalf with federal, state, county, city uh, decision makers to inform them, and and we do that every single day in a chamber briefing, and then to our best ability to connect them all. And obviously these days it's a bit more Zoom-like, but prior to COVID we had three events each month that would would gather hundreds of chamber members to meet one another, uh, discuss their business ideas and opportunities and product placement. And and really, uh, that interaction is all about business community-like behavior. And and so that's what we did day in and day out until about mid-March. <laughs> well, we're going to get into mid-March, but mm-hmm. small business really is the foundation of a community, don't you think? And and Reno is in, has been enjoying a really big resurgence of locally owned small businesses such as Midtown. Absolutely. I mean, as grateful as I am that Tesla and Panasonic and Amazon and big, big businesses that have come into town are chamber members, we all know that our quality of life is dependent on our ability to buy the goods and services of small businesses. It's where we all shop. Um, We all have a favorite hair salon or nail salon or dry cleaner or grocery store. And, And we we don't discriminate based on size, but we know that the lifeblood of this community's engine is is really small business. And and the bigger we get, the more localized businesses become. So you pick a local coffee place that's nearby your work or your home. Uh, your your kids may enjoy uh, you know a movie theater near where you live. We just know that everything is local, and with that, uh, we do a lot to promote those small businesses that have found their prominence over the last couple of years in terms of defining the identity of Reno and Sparks. That's very well put. I, as you were talking, I was realized how many small businesses um, I do uh, go to and I do 
get my goods from small businesses. Of course, it's very difficult not to walk into a big box every now and then, but we have such a variety of small businesses in our community, don't you think? Well, I think the diversification of this community is enormous, and that's mm-hmm. in terms of types of food and and types of restaurants uh, that uh, that have that have come about, including coffee shops and bakeries and all sorts of things, right. donut shops, things that most of us, like myself, I grew up in New York City, and in five square blocks you could find just about everything. I feel that way about Reno now. You can drive a couple blocks and and buy things from every location. And I think that's what we've all come to appreciate over time is that we're small business driven and we're helped by uh, the big, big, big businesses that employ so many employees and presumably pay them well enough to have money in their pocket to shop at these small businesses. businesses. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted us to describe a little bit about how small businesses are the backbone of the community is because now – Let's go back to mid-March when you realized the pandemic was going to impact our community because it's really many of the small businesses that are being so incredibly impacted. What were your first thoughts mid-March, Ann? Well, I think like many of us, you know, we heard about COVID-19 and we understand the definition of a pandemic, but it didn't seem real until I literally began getting the calls from many of our members saying, I'm closing or I'm in fear of of having to lay off all of my employees. And, you know, I'm pleased that Congress responded very quickly with the um, emergency injury disaster loan and certainly the Paycheck Protection Program. But as we've come to see, uh, two things were apparent. Um, not every business was able to get on board that quickly. There was a lot of documentation, a lot of lending institutions that needed to be identified for small businesses that may have been in debt, maybe they didn't qualify. So while there was relief on the federal side, many small businesses, uh, some had just opened, some laid off their employees because the enhanced unemployment benefit was a good thing. And yet we didn't surmise that the pandemic would last this long. And what would happen is that employees preferred the enhanced unemployment insurance benefit. Let's, let's, um, let's sort of um, rewind on that a bit and, and yeah. uh, go into the pieces of it. So there was the payroll protection uh, yes. that you could get. And the payroll protection, uh, you were able to hopefully get forgiveness because a lot of people are counting on it if they kept their employees. And then there yes. was the small business loan. Those were yes. two well, things, right? Yes, that that idle loan program, the emergency uh, injury disaster relief um, loan, that was for all size businesses. And fortunately, many, many, many small businesses were able to take advantage of that and initially keep their doors open. Uh, But as we saw, businesses quickly shut down. And based on our governor's directives, it didn't matter whether you were a casino or a coffee shop, you weren't doing business. And so we began to get hundreds of calls from our members as to what they should do next. We then saw Congress extend a few things. They extend, they created a more flexible paycheck protection program because uh, many small businesses may have initially used that in the first eight weeks, 
but it was clear that this pandemic was was not going to be over anytime soon and was going to continue. We also uh, saw Congress respond with this extended uh, enhanced unemployment insurance benefit that's just due to end at the end of this month in July, which may send many people back to work. Do you think that it will end or do you think they'll extend at the end of July? A lot of people are asking about that. Right. We have no indication from Washington, D.C. that Congress on the on the Democrat or Republican sides are looking at extending the unemployment insurance enhanced benefit. And the reason being that it's very hard to get businesses to operate and get back on their feet without employees. We've had many of our members who've called and said, I can't bring back my employees because they're making more on unemployment insurance than they were working for me. Well, that's because of the extra $600. Exactly, exactly. So if that extra 600 goes away at the end of July, we estimate that there will be many more people who say, it's it's now time to go back. I I need to, to return to my job. And frankly, it's required that they do unless they are, are sidelined by, by COVID or they're taking care of someone who may have symptoms or COVID itself, they're required to come back to work. And that may serve as an engine of, of commerce in itself, just to put many of these businesses back on their feet when they can open their doors, doors and have the requisite number of employees to serve the customers. Well, on the, the paycheck protection, it always seemed to me that the eight weeks certainly was not enough. I was glad that they extended it to the 24 because during that time, if you're shut down, you couldn't get your loan forgiven because you couldn't keep your employees because you were shut down, and and it never made much sense. It was kind of an oxymoron. Yes, Sherry, you're absolutely right. I think you know Congress was doing what it could in kind of right. an emergency breaknet right. speed, but then suddenly there was this reckoning. Wait a minute, everybody shut down. Nobody was there to receive their paychecks, so let's extend this because there we did get to phase one and phase two where where stores and op- and re- restaurants, et cetera, and casinos could reopen. What we now see is, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, we're we're back to the phase one piece with bars and taverns and distilleries and pubs that don't serve food. We're back to phase one where where they're shut down, and so we're going through yet another crisis for small businesses. And what is the feedback, Anne, that you have received from uh, the bar owners on this latest shutdown? Well, you know, I was flooded with calls over the weekend and uh, days since uh, with small bars and pubs, distilleries, taverns that don't serve food that are very upset. Now, they understand the medical issues, and I, I don't know anyone who doesn't understand the COVID statistics and sees the spike just since casinos opened June 4th. We also understand a lot of this is driven by businesses in Clark County, but we're all one state. And so while there is an intellectual understanding that we don't want to see people herded together, crowding in bars, um, taking their masks off to drink and, and creating more COVID cases, these businesses are generally run either by long-term entrepreneurs or new young entrepreneurs who say, what the heck do I do now? I'm going to be closed for how long? 
will this be weeks? Will this be months? Will I get special relief? Mm-hmm. Um, how long will this spike last? Uh, we were doing everything we could. We were making people wear masks. We put bar stools six feet apart. But, you know, you can't fix stupid. And pe- some people have behaved stupidly and maybe not as conscientiously as they should have. No one's out to find those people or identify them, but certainly our small businesses get damaged irreparably um, when people don't follow the sign on the door that says put on your mask or they just decide it's not real and and it's a political issue rather than a health issue. And so we say to these businesses, let me make a list of who you are and see what I can do. If I can find city or county or state or federal funding to deal with this small tranche of businesses that were closed effective last week by Governor Sisolak, that's my job as head of the chamber. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the chamber, Anne. When when the pandemic hit back mid-March, April, what were the first steps that the chamber took to support those uh, local small businesses? Because I know you, you did a lot. Well, yeah, thank you, Sherry. The first thing we did was move from a weekly um, email that went out to 6,500 individuals to a daily briefing that is on number 82, I believe, today, where every single day we are uh, sending an email to every one of our members and their employees, giving them an update on federal, state, and local regulations, directives, laws, OSHA guidance, et cetera, because we felt that information was critical, particularly factual information. We weren't endorsing or politicizing anything. We were just giving people information. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Here are the governor's directives. Here's where we know there are funding streams. Here's how to apply for the Paycheck Protection Program or the EIDL loan. So we took it upon ourselves, and I have just a staff of two, to hunker down here with our masks. We haven't been out of the office since middle of March to say, um, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do to get money, protection, PPE. We began distributing masks. We certainly um, reached quickly into our resources, came up with COVID kindness to distribute $100 gift certificates to all of our member restaurants. Uh, We partnered with the Community Foundation to make sure our first responders could buy meals, and that also put some money in the pockets of of our restaurant members. Um, and, and we also then did what we could to uh, participate in gathering gently used computers for kids who were dealing with distance learning and either didn't have a Wi-Fi connection, I mean, didn't have a computer, excuse me, and, and didn't have access uh, to buy one. We wanted to make sure they were they were part of distance learning. And we've just continued to kind of reinvent ourselves every single day. We have a path forward telephone conversation at least twice a week with critical local leaders, everything from the governor to our two U.S. senators and congressmen, in an effort to get our members to hear from these influential leaders exactly what is going on at the federal, state, and local levels. Well, and that is so valuable, and because we, we get assaulted with so much information daily, both on a national level and a local level, that we're left not quite knowing what to believe and what not to be believe, or even more valuable, what we should be doing. Well, I think people have taken um, our, our daily briefing. They've 
spread it to others who are maybe not chamber members. And right now, our our point is, whether you are or not, we want to make sure you get the facts. We want to make sure you know what the law is. We want to make sure you understand the governor's directives. You may not agree with them, but at least know what they are, so you're not surprised if you try to go into a store and you have to put on a mask. Understand that uh, businesses can be fined if they don't require you to wear a mask. You know, there's so much uh, there's so much information out there. To your point, it's really important that the chamber distill it down to facts and report those. And we don't politicize it. We don't judge it. We just want to make sure our members know what's real and what isn't. And we're also serving on several task forces, whether it's the school reopening task force or the governor's task force on reopening. We're right there at the table advocating on behalf of businesses, small, medium, and large, to make sure their voices are heard as decisions get made regarding reopening, shutting down, reopening again, what are the directives, what are the restrictions, what can you do, what can't you do. I'm glad we have a seat at those tables. Yeah, that's extremely valuable. You used the word unredeemable a little while in our converse, a little while back in our conversation. Um, some businesses are going to have to shut down. Do you help them to make that decision, whether they uh, go into debt and take a loan, whether they shut down? Is there um, a part of the chamber that helps sort of counsels them on that? We certainly do in the sense that we refer them to free financial counseling, whether it's a financial planner, whether it's someone who can guide them through the debt process and how much of a loan they want to take, or even what particular lender may be more business-friendly. That is our job to connect our members to those resources, just as we did when we printed a list of every lender that had idle or PPP money we wanted to make sure our members, you know, ran down the street and got to one uh, very quickly. And that that's part of what we do in terms of informing and connecting our members uh, with local resources. No, we know who they are. We know how to get to them. And we want our members to get there first. And has there been any sort of assessment as to what percentage of small businesses we're going to lose in our community? You know, Sherry, that's a great question because as recently as last Friday, we had reason to believe that 30% of our small taverns, bars, pubs, and distilleries face the, the prospect of closing entirely. And that's just because they were shut down for a second time. And they may have already used their federal loan. They may not be willing to go into debt. It may not behoove them to try and lay off and bring back employees a second time because the Paycheck Protection Program funds have already been used. And so we're projecting about 30% uh, throughout Washoe County may actually close their doors. It's my hope that it's zero but I'm a realist. Um, you know, it's very hard to run a money run run a business. Excuse me, without money. Yeah. And w- while some can convert to curbside commerce and and selling products, you know, and loading them in someone's trunk or flatbed, um, we we don't think you can live on those fumes. We we think right. that if right. if this continued prohibition against those businesses staying open continues for any length of time, we may see about 30% of them just shut their doors. Most of the uh, public doesn't really have a way to relate to what it takes to start a small business. 
the amount of commitment, um, the anxiety of it, the stress of it, um, and how many of them fail. It really is quite the feat to start a small business, don't you think? Well, Sherry, even in the best of times, I used to be in the restaurant business, even in the best of times, businesses fail. It may be based on location or oversaturation of the marketplace. Uh, you know, there are lots of reasons businesses don't make it. But when you when you put a pandemic out there and you say to a small entrepreneur whose life savings or perhaps, you know, they've held off on sending a child to college or, or taken money that may have been in a 401k to start a business and you say you're you're closed – um, many of them just don't have the sheer willpower or stamina or emotional uh, fortitude to continue. And I don't think any of us can blame them. It's not for us to judge them. Right. And what has been the feedback on the increase in the minimum wage that just went through? Well, it's interesting because ordinarily I don't think uh, that many of them would have been concerned. Certainly we don't have any members other than those who uh, rely on tipped employees who were paying the minimum wage. Right. They were. It would have been very hard to recruit and retain people for that wage. Now, it might be more of a high school wage if you're uh, out of school for the summer and you want to be a bagger at a supermarket or something. We understand that minimum wage. But really, having done a survey a year ago of our members, we didn't have but maybe 2% that were paying minimum wage. So in a strong economy, they were not opposed to the increase. Mm -hmm. But when that increase hit, and many of them were just reopening, or they were closed and estimating how quickly they could reopen, and reopen we got a lot of calls saying, yeah. now's not the time. Could the yeah. legislature suspend this increase? And then, boom, last week, the pubs and taverns and, and yeah. non-food establishments were shut down. So it's, it's a, you know, a Bermuda Triangle of issues. Yeah. Yeah, explain to me the relationship between uh, our Chamber of Car Commerce, the Reno Sparks, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I know that, that you're all intricately interweaved. Well, we pay a fee to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to receive information and bullets, bulletins and um, what I would call newsletters uh, of import. But we are an independent 501c6 nonprofit organization. Uh, we don't receive federal, state, county, or city funding of any kind. We exist solely on the dues of our members. And so while we need the certification from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to be called a Chamber of Commerce, we have no obligation to endorse their positions or to... Um, or to ask them for favors or to do anything for us other than to be providers of information, mostly at the federal level since that office sits in Washington, D.C. And um, are you concerned about your local membership, Anne? I know that um, the effect of COVID is trickling down to all of us. Well, I'd be crazy if I wasn't. Um, you know, we've seen renewals go down as people had to prioritize what they spent money on, but we've been very fortunate to get 
a large number of new members. I think people for whom our, our, our notion that we were in this together now more than ever really resonated. You know, let me join the chamber now because I'm getting, I can get great information. I know they'll advocate on my, my behalf. They have tremendous resources. I can pick up the phone and, and call them. They're there. They're there in their office. I can go over. I can get free masks. Um, whatever you know, reasons they found, we were excited <coughs> to be adding new members every single month. Um, so renewals are down, but not new membership, and for that I'm very grateful. Well, let's talk about the next six months, Anne, and what are your biggest concerns? I think that we're all realizing that COVID-19 is here to last maybe for another year until we have a vaccine, that we've all been impacted by this, that whatever we've put into place as far as our safeguards or the way we're doing business now uh, may last for quite a while. What is your biggest concern for any business owner, small business, and even for our community over the next six months? Well, I think there are two categories that we're talking about. One is for the health and safety of of our residents and our neighbors and our families and our kids. Um, we don't want any more people to get sick. Um, health is the top priority because without health, you can't open your business. Without health, you can't go to a business. So certainly health is, is my biggest priority, and yet the chamber can't get out there and and be standing out on the street with any more signs than we have that say wear a mask. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we want to continue to encourage people, and that's the only word I can use, to follow the governor's directive and not get political about this and do what's right, do what's conscientious, do what's respectful to others, do what's good for your mother, your grandmother, people you live near or associate with and wear a mask. On an economic front, I am very concerned because social behavior does not always conform to the moment. It can take a very long time to change behavior. And we've seen with other campaigns, be it, you know, don't drive drunk or or don't smoke because it can kill you. Mm-hmm. Things take a very long time to evolve. And so I think we're just now, even after all these months, realizing how real this pandemic is. You know, all you need to do is watch the news, any station, right. pick up any newspaper and see that the U.S. is not trending well. Um, I have family in Florida. I have family in New York. I have family in Ohio. States that are hit very hard. And and I worry. I worry as, you know, a professional and I worry as a human being that we're all in this together. And that means economically we will not survive unless we do the right thing and put safety first. So the two are inextricably connected in my mind. That's true. The, The... the emphasis must be on health and safety of our loved ones and our neighbors and our friends, and that will, in fact, then promote our economy. If we can continue to shop and go places, maybe it's restricted to some places and we can't go to movie theaters yet or theaters and we still can't go to a nail salon without a mask, but be that as it may, hopefully our social behaviors can conform to the reality of this pandemic and that will in turn allow our economy to maybe not thrive, but at least maintain itself. Right. Because we don't want any businesses going under. We don't want to wake up when this is over and 
half of the places we shop are closed. We want them to stay open, and the only way they can is if we abide by the directives and the social norms that we're now realizing are the new normal. We will be wearing masks for a long time. There will be things we can't do. We'll replace, you know, winks for handshakes, whatever it takes. But I hope that the trajectory of of social behavior changes faster than what I've seen in my lifetime with with other issues, where it took almost a decade or two to change behaviors. We want these things to move quickly so we can save our economy, save the livelihood of so many people in this community, and emerge as strong, if not stronger, than we were even six months ago. Well, I I think you wrapped it all together quite well, Anne, when you talked about how intrinsically um, tied together people wearing the, the masks and doing the safety procedures has to do with our small businesses. Uh, in a way that we haven't ever seen before. We didn't see that with seatbelts. We didn't see it with cigarette smoking. We didn't see that. That was uh, a personal commitment somebody made. But as you put it so well, this is about far more than just a personal commitment. Yeah, I want my freedom to go shop somewhere and buy what I want. And if they shut down because people have entered the premises and refused to wear a mask or scoffed at it and taken it off or worn it only over their chin, that's a hazard to that business, which, by the way, can be fined right now if they don't mandate masks. So that imposes a terrible financial penalty on the business, and it just hastens the spread. So in in not providing a, a moral imperative or a political imperative, I am just extremely concerned that the health and safety piece of this pandemic is inextricably tied with the with with commerce and our ability to salvage our our commerce and its and its great spirit and vibe and identity in in the Reno Sparks communities. Well other than the most important piece of personal responsibility and wearing their masks and following the rules, what what else can we do in this community to support our small businesses? What can we do to help them? Well, that's such a good question because we can continue to order online. We can call them. We can do curbside pickup. Uh, You know, these businesses have shown enormous flexibility and innovativeness in the way they've operated. So I've seen a distillery pivot quickly to become a producer of hand sanitizer. I've seen some businesses literally outside delivering their product to car trunks, so they don't even have to ask someone to lower the window or speak to them via the window six inches Mm -hmm. apart. I think we want to continue to shop And there are so many ways to do it. We can pick up the phone and place an order and drive by. We can order online. We can go to some place that's serving food outside and has put tables six feet apart. You know, it's not quite as restrictive as we make it if we think about where do I take a little bit of the money I have and spend it? And how can I make sure this vibrant economy that I knew was in place in January and February, how can I make sure it stands strong? and stands the test of this pandemic. And we can all be part of that, whether it's buying a cup of coffee or it's picking up some baked goods or it's getting one's nails done or haircut. It's following the restrictions but not failing to make the appointment, including at dentists and doctor's offices. All that is permissible. And that's what keeps the economy flowing. 
So I hope people continue to do what they did before. They're just doing it, sadly, with a mask. And we're all just trying to figure out who we are when you can only see one's eyes. <laughs> but it's it's very possible to keep commerce going. Well, I think that's a fabulous place uh, to end this very important conversation, Anne. Thank you so much for being a guest on today's podcast. Thank you, Sherry. Great questions, and stay safe. We've been talking today with Ann Silver, CEO of Reno Sparks Chamber of Commerce, about COVID-19, how it's impacted our small businesses and our community, and we want to congratulate Ann on her 100th anniversary. Um, we will check in with you this fall. How would that be, Ann? We'll do another podcast to see where things are going. Sherry, I'd love that. Thank you so much for the invite. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. For a list of podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. Support your local businesses, everyone. Stay well, and please wear your mask.